so we're coming up on a series. We are. Called Sorry, I'm Not Sorry. Mm-hmm. Which that title came from Steve. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> and what's the series about? Um, it's basically an apologetics series. Um, taking a look at uh, why we believe what we believe. Um, how do we talk to others about our faith? And uh, equipping us so that we can share that with confidence um, and with clarity when it comes to who we are, um, who is God, uh, why do we put our faith in him, who's his son Jesus, and, and what's that all mean for us? And uh, being able to have that conversation with our friends and neighbors. Yeah, yeah, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, yeah, apologetics does not mean apologizing for our faith. Apologia. No, Latin. but it's, it's fun to play on the word. Yeah, it's fun to play on the word, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a word. Yeah, it's a, it's a word, it's an old word. word. Yeah, it means defending our faith. Yeah, yeah. sorry, I'm not sorry. Hashtag. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the first question is... Why do bad things happen to good people? Or, or, or as we accidentally put it in our little spreadsheet, why do things happen to people? <laughs> why do things happen to people? Which is probably the better way <clears throat> to describe why do things happen to people, because it's not why do bad things happen to good people, but why do good things happen to bad For people? bad people. <laughs> yeah, like <clears throat> dirty, rotten scoundrels who, you know, look down on women, but also are filthy rich. Right. Yeah, right. Not including any recent media. <laughs> so, with that, let's... Yeah, like that, like that Cam Newton comment. Ooh, yikes. Did you hear about that one? I did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anywho. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, where, where would you start? When I think about that question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Like, I always first am reminded, like, that question is not like a modern, like, oh, who possibly thought of this before? Like, as if the ancients who were, you know, devoted to God or Yahweh or Jesus, like, just never thought or this never occurred to them. Like, it's not an original question. Like, it's embedded. It's one of the primary themes of Scripture where, like, you look at the Psalms. And this is, like, one of the, one of the main things they wrestle with constantly. Like, God, I have been just. I have been upright. And, like, all these terrible things are happening to me. Why is that? You look at the book of Job, and, like, you have planted right in the center of your Bible this kind of awful story of somebody wrestling with this very question. Uh, so it's not, it's not a new question. It's not one to, like, ha-ha, take that, Christians, we got you, quote, atheist. Like, like, no, it's one that's been wrestled with for a long time for people who have been very devout, very, uh, you know, involved in their, in their faith in God or Jesus. Uh, and so that, to me, is, like, just a sign, like, it's not this automatic, like, well, I guess I should give up on my faith because this somehow disproves the divine. Mm. I think, like, the, the go-to Christian response is always, well, because of the fall. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. that's why bad things happen. Certainly that's a reality that plays with that. But I think even a better starting point is the age-old, you know, the good versus evil. Um, you know. Uh, that there's this cosmic battle always at play. Mm. And so why do these things happen? <clears throat> so I think you have to begin that there's an ongoing battle between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the force will beat out the Sith, so to speak, <laughs> which is like, you know, that's a prominent theme in Scripture that 
that Jesus has come to make all things right. And so when we look at bad things and we look at destruction, that's a promise of the kingdom of God, the restoration of all things, that eventually those things aren't in existence any longer. And so we look at this continual existing cosmic battle. For example, you know, Daniel, you know, messenger of the Lord says, hey, sorry, it took me three weeks to get here, but I was duking it out with the prince of Persia. Hmm. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, we're reminded from Paul, we don't make, we don't wage war with flesh and blood, but through the powers and principalities of the world. And so just below the surface, beyond the scenes, so to speak, there's this battle between good and evil that's always going on. And so we have to keep that in good tension as well, that Satan is working to be an agent of deception. Yeah, mm-hmm. and destruction. Yeah. Comes a, you know, he's a thief, comes a kill, steal, destroy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But I think our charge specifically is to shine light into dark places. Um, you know, let your light go before you, so to, so to speak. And so we can be truthful, put in uh, right narratives, I think, when people are use that as an excuse. You know, why would God allow this to happen? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so I think we really have to do a paradigm shift there. Yeah. We too often just move past the reality of spiritual warfare mm. and we look for justification in the physical realm yeah yeah and so we don't even have the conversation that there is a battle that is being waged that that's how the fall started yeah it, yeah. it was yeah, the serpent stepping into the creation of god and basically saying i'm going to throw a wrench in this yeah, yeah. Um, and the battle shows up there um, and what you referenced about not battling against flesh and blood, um, we just don't have that conversation yeah. often. Um, we, we try to put people at ease based upon what they can handle themselves and what they can do themselves yeah. without turning that over in prayer yeah. um, and asking God to fight some of those battles for us. Yeah, yeah and none of that denies like God's providence or sovereignty. Right. Uh, so like an analogy I was told a long, long time ago, like, who has better sovereignty over a horse? Is it the like the five-year-old on the penny or the nickel horse outside of the like the grocery store? You know, the horse is made out of ceramic and metal and plastic, and like that horse does precisely what it was designed to do. With no variation. Like, is that an example of sovereignty? Like this absolute meticulous, like nothing ever, like you can there's nothing ever that's gonna go different or wrong than what the five-year-old rider plans. Or is it like the master equestrian on this like you know fully fledged you know horse beast thing Mm. uh where you know with just a little touch of the heel or a little pull at the rein can make this horse go and the horse still has like free will the horse still uh can decide to like twitch or move its tail in whatever way it wants yeah uh there's still you know a little bit of you know things happen um but that master equestrian has the ability to to do what he or she wants with this horse. So when I think about God's like sovereignty and providence over creation, like it's not mechanical. Like God does allow, uh, you know, things to happen, and sometimes dumb things, bad things, evil things to happen. But when I think of the alternative of a mechanical sovereignty, uh, one where every atom uh, has no choice but to be good. Yeah. Uh, not out of any decision of its own, not of any uh, submission to God's will or love, uh, but just because you know God made it this completely mechanical universe. Like that's not sovereignty; that's just a robot. Mm. 
Yeah. And then we also have to recognize the irony of <laughs> like getting mad at God mm. when he didn't do exactly what we wanted him to do. While we say, you know, we want that expressive creative free will of, you know, God, I want you to, I want to do what I want to do. I want you to be off in the background, but where were you in times of trouble? Mm-hmm. And so I think we're denying like the presence of God in all things. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a, <clears throat> I think an ironic way for us to address the, <laughs> the power and the presence and the availability of God. And we only want him to be there when things are not the way that we want them to be. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's a, an unfortunate thing we also must wrestle with in times of crisis and yeah. trouble. Yeah. yeah, I think we have to realize that those times of trouble, that brokenness, is usually the best vehicle for bringing someone to God or back to God. Mm-hmm. Um, it is in that brokenness where we realize we can't handle things on our own. Mm-hmm. And we typically will turn to someone else for help or turn to something for help. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the chaos of the world drives people back to the creator looking for the answer of why these things happen Um, and if everything was smooth and harmonious and there were never issues and never problems most people would not have a motivation to seek something out such as purpose yeah 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 Yeah, and that's the that's kind of the stinky thing about like growth or formation of any sort like it requires challenge and like sometimes heartache and heartbreak to grow beyond yourself, grow beyond where you are. And like that does wade in some like deep, deep kind of theological questions of mm. like, does God, did God have to create a world in which like pain was necessary for growth? And that, I don't know. Um, but I, knew, I do know like the, the words of Joseph in the book of Genesis, like what people intend for evil, God's going to use for good. Yeah. And there's a big difference. Like God doesn't call evil good. Like that's not the mm-hmm. case. Uh, but God will use evil for good. He will always turn evil up on its head. Uh, and, the, and the prime most example of that is, of course, like Jesus on a cross. Like that is the forces of evil and darkness doing their absolute worst to God, yeah. uh, suffering uh, alongside humanity. Um, and yet God used even that, God on a cross, uh, to bring about resurrection and new life and new creation. Uh, which also goes to like why do bad things happen to good people the 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 one thing that christianity can say beyond any other religion is that bad things don't just happen to good people bad things happen to god you know true like jesus there's no reason jesus needs to be bleeding hanging on a cross uh and yet jesus has solidarity with anybody who has ever suffered Mm, yeah yeah you know, let's let's jump back and, and wrestle with those deep theological things. <laughs> I think it's even safe to say that um, so, so we certainly don't want to make God the author of evil right. and all things bad. No, no. Um, but we also have to keep in good tension that balance of testing versus temptation. Mm-hmm. And so in Genesis 22, it says, so God tested Abraham. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so the test then is to see... Abraham's faithfulness, and a test can go one of two ways. A test can, you know, produce spiritual fruit by the way that we respond to it, or a test can lure itself into temptation, and James tells us that we are lured and enticed by our own desires. And so certainly we can say that God does use these things as an opportunity to test, to one, to either produce spiritual fruit, and it's not that God is allowing us to be tempted, 
But James reminds us, no, 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 no. It's you and your fleshly operating system mm-hmm. um, that is enticed and lured already. Yeah. And so, uh, and I think that's maybe the constructive conversation that at some point the ball is in our court. Yeah. Uh, how do we want to respond? Yeah. Do we give God the glory or do we wallow, kick, and scream in our own uh, fleshly tendencies? Yeah. So. Yeah, I think about parenting, like, as, as my daughter Audrey gets older, like, there are more temptations uh, in her life, you know, lamps to knock off the table, or, you know, colored <laughs> pencils to pull off the, you know, the, the, the couch or whatever. And, like, yeah, I could create an environment in which it is entirely temptation-free. You know, basically. What? A bubble. A bubble, right. yeah. <laughs> the padded white walls where there's nothing possibly. But uh, if I never give the opportunity to, like, make a right decision on her own... Like that is a spiritual muscle, she, an emotional muscle, and a development muscle that she's not going to be able to, to practice, to flex. Yeah. Um, and so, again, I, it's that weird thing where I think if God's best for us is a world in which we get to make our own choices against evil, against uh, temptation. Yeah. But those temptations have to exist in the first place. We shouldn't be surprised by instances of suffering or when things go hard like no one ever promised that being a follower of Jesus was going to be rainbows and butterflies and, you know, like puppy videos. <laughs> like, it, it's going to be difficult, you know. In fact, all who desire to live a godly lifestyle in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yeah. Uh, we find in one of the Peters, first or second, I'm not right off the hand, uh, that Christ creates an example for us in the way that he suffers. Yeah. So suffering is a piece of the puzzle. And, you know, Anthony, you mentioned uh, certainly... Why do these happens? Why do things happen? Because God ultimately suffered. And you know, we look mm-hmm. at uh, Jesus's cry of dereliction from the cross: "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Which is, you know, like he's singing a song of Psalm 22. But what he is not able to finish is at the end of Psalm 22. It is a, it is a, like this beautiful promise of deliverance. Yeah. And so while eventually, you know, um, the sufferings are momentary. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. You talked about parenting, and I, I always think of that as the rubber band principle. Mm. And it's you have a mm. child who desires for control and a parent who wants to maintain control, and they're both going to pull on their end of the rubber band. And the longer the parent holds on, the greater that tension gets. And ultimately, there's a time that comes when the parent has to let go. And if all you have done is create that battle for control and that tension... When you do let go, the further your child is going to fly out the other end. <laughs> um, yeah. And so there's this, there's this strategic plan in parenting where you have to begin to lessen that tension by relinquishing control sure. and allowing the child to make the right choice. Mm. And, and I, think, I think in God in that picture and saying God could have maintained all control. Yeah. But we see in our own parenting model, the tighter we maintain control, the greater the rebellion typically is. And so God relinquishes some of that control and allows us to make choice. And Scripture tells us he desires obedience even more than sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And, and so he wants us to make that right choice, mm-hmm. to be obedient, to follow him, mm-hmm. rather than just to maintain all control for himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Mm. Yeah, I think one of the... You know, going back to the the high note of growth and maturation in the Christian life, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the chaotic 
certainly learn the loving, compassionate, forgiving, merciful nature of God. And another thing we have to keep in good tension, while we are worried about a potentially distant God in Scripture, God is abundantly merciful. Like so merciful, like when we see the Psalms, we see the conversation with Abraham concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the question really is like, hey God, when are you going to kill these people? And, and, you know, Abraham is able to change the mind of God. Uh, David writes endlessly like, like, hey, I'm running for my life. When are you going to finally show up? And to say that God is not merciful and that God could potentially be the author of evil and destructive ways and, you know, life-altering courses in our, uh, over the course of our life is exegetically, hermeneutically, like just contextually, a false reading of Scripture. Right. And so we have to learn uh, to go back potentially to the Old Testament mm-hmm. and, and, and look at the conversations between God and his people yeah. and to see that in the midst of a relationship, God's mind is easily changed mm-hmm. for those who do have those relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is a, like a, that's good news. Yeah, that is good news. Yeah. Yeah, the last thing I wanted to mention, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, I think it is a, a mistake it, to, to ever put that upon, uh, you know, personal sin, you mm. know. Why did I lose my child, or why did I get cancer, or you know, why did this horrendous thing happen to me? Well, maybe you, maybe you have some unconfessed sin. Like that's always a mistake. Uh, I'm reminded of you know Jesus talking in Luke 13. There's this story uh, of mm-hmm. people going to Jesus saying like, "Hey, why did this bad thing happen to these these worshiping Jews? Uh, it must be because of sin in their life, right?" And Jesus says, "No." And you remember that tower that fell down? And I think it says on, on 18 people who who were worshiping. Uh, do you think they were more guilty or more sinful than anybody else? Mm. No. Uh, and, and Jesus is saying, like, sometimes just bad things happen. Uh, it's, it's the result of living in a world built out of, you know, yeah. sticks and stones and mortar. And, you know, sometimes towers fall down and sometimes, you know, bacteria turns into colds, turns into disease, turns into whatever. Uh, and to set, so to ever, you know, come to somebody and say, well, you must have unconfessed sin. Uh, must be something you did. God's right. just striking you, uh, again, is just such a misreading of how God reacts, of how God moves in Scripture. And if that's you, stop saying stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 stop it. Stop it. You're scaring the children. <laughs> well, there's the story of, of those who questioned, you know, why was this man born blind? Yeah, yeah. And was it because of... Him or did his parents yeah, sin? Yeah, those are the only two options in, the, in this, <laughs> right. these people's minds. Um, you know, but Jesus answered that. No, that's not it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so that I could, you know, so that basically God could be glorified yeah. in this. Yeah. Um, and so we look for a negative cause and effect relationship to those things in our life. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus points out that, you know, it, it's sometimes in those bad things that allows God to be glorified. Um, and, and when we see someone deal with the horrendous realities of life and come through that, more often than not, they're going to point to a God who pulled them through the pit of their despair. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we get the opportunity to see his strength in our weakness. Yeah. God's strength doesn't show up when we have a strength that lines up with it. Um, God's strength shows up when there is a weakness that we could never overcome. That's good. That makes me think of uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 
My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness for every thorn in the flesh, things that ail us. Mm -hmm. God's, God's grace is certainly sufficient.